0: Lord, we thank you for that truth that there was no way we could have freed ourselves, but it was by your grace and your mercy that you sent Christ into this world by His shed blood to give us a freedom that we did not deserve. And uh, we thank you for that. And as we look at this book of uh, gracious uh, mercy and restitution, and and uh, this, may we realize that uh, we. Forgive others, because we realize the great forgiveness we have received uh, in Christ, so Lord, uh, we thank you for this book, as we look at it this evening, those small, very impactful message in this we pray in christ's name. Amen. Well, if you take your Bibles and turn to Philemon, one chapter, and so as we go through, we will never. Say Philemon 1.15, we'll just say Philemon 1, Philemon 7, Philemon whatever, and you'll get there uh, eventually and figure it out here this evening. This is the last of the epistles that we know are written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, we will talk next week about, well not next week, two weeks from now, um, <clears throat> about Hebrews, And uh, there are some that say Paul wrote it. Others say somebody else wrote it. We don't know. But uh, there seems to be some strong evidence that it was him. But this is the last one that we have in our Bible that we know is definitively written by the Apostle Paul. This is a unique letter. Uh, We've used that term in several weeks here. But this is unique not because it is part of the pastoral epistles, Uh, It is written to an individual. Okay, that's the pastoral epistle's uh, appeal is that you have it written to Timothy and to Titus. Here you have a letter that is written to an individual. That individual's not a pastor, Okay, he's not someone that is in charge in the church, and so this is not necessarily giving instructions about the church. It's actually giving instructions about his house, his own household, his own home. Uh, We would say his own family, uh, what's going on there. Uh, So he's dealing with a household situation. So it is a unique letter because it's written to an individual. Most of Paul's letters written to groups. Uh, This one is written to an individual, though it's not part of the pastoral epistles. Uh, it is part of what we would call the prison epistles. and It should be categorized uh, if you're, you're going, okay, the time period of this, uh, it would be in the same time period as Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians. Uh, Ephesians and Colossians' letter probably uh, was with Tychicus along with this letter to Philemon. We'll talk about that in a second. So this is written during the first imprisonment of Paul. Uh, it was composed and delivered at the same time as Colossians, Uh, Philemon was from the town of Colossae, uh, and this letter dealt with a personal matter that did not need to be addressed by a letter to the whole church, even though it seems like this letter got delivered, and I'm guessing people said, well, what did Paul write to you? Uh, And this letter uh, made it out originally that way, even though there was a letter to the Colossian church. So this means the letter's written about 59, 61 AD, uh, that time period, because it is uh, during this imprisonment and time that Paul had. So really, we have to deal with, and, and you you notice that there's more information than with actually dealing with the book itself, in the sense of the outline of the book. That's because there are multiple things as far as background that we just need to make sure that you know as you get into this letter, which is very quick, very personal. I did not read through it beforehand as far as timed but it's a book you probably could read in 3 minutes, 4 minutes. I mean it's not going to take long to do that. But when you look at this letter, the recipient of this is to one by the name of Philemon. Okay. He is a wealthy individual in the city of Colossae. You go where's Colosse? It's about I think it's about 50 to 70 miles uh, east of Ephesus, up a river valley that would have been there, a river that went through Ephesus. Uh, it was a city known for its uh, sheep and the wool that it produced uh, in that region. But you know that he's rich, and you say, why is that? Well, he had a home that was large enough to house the church. Okay. When you get to the uh, verse number 2, it says this, talks about Aphia, Archippus, our fellow sh- soldier, and to the church in thy house. Okay, uh, his was a large house. I mean, think about this. Most people had a one, two, three-room house at most. I mean, that's, that's all they had back in that day. Obviously, he's got something that's quite large, um, and so that would indicate that he's wealthy. Also, the fact that he has slaves, okay, that he's got the ability to... Uh, owned slaves, uh, and so this is an indicator of his wealth. He is not the pastor of this church. He is noted by the Apostle Paul as being a fellow laborer. Now you say, how did his salvation happen? We aren't told. But we do know the Apostle Paul led him to the Lord because Paul, in this letter, uh, in verse, uh, if I've got it right, verse 19, um, he says, Listen, I, you owe me a debt because I was the one who led you to the Lord. Uh, when Philemon met Paul, I don't know because Paul was never in Colossae. Okay, so you say, When did he meet Paul? Probably when Paul was in Ephesus for about two to three years. I mean, there, a lot of traffic goes to Ephesus. It's like saying, uh, Here, you know, what's the main city around you? Chicago. You know, people come from miles around to go to Chicago to get things and whatever. Um, back in that day, you'd go to Ephesus for goods. Uh, it was a crossroads, both a port city and a crossroads of a number of different highways. And so, more likely, Colossae, uh, not far away, Philemon would have uh, gone into that town multiple occasions uh, for business. And some of those occasions, uh, he came in contact with the Apostle Paul. In the greeting, you have the family of Philemon that's mentioned. Aphia is his wife. And Archippus, uh, which is his son. Now, we know a little bit more about Archippus. Philemon's not mentioned anywhere else in our scripture. So you, you look in other places, you'll not find him mentioned as Paul's passing somewhere, whatever. But you do have Archippus mentioned in the book of Colossians. He, at the end of the, the book of Colossians, is reminded in verse 17 of that letter uh, of this statement and say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. I mean, those are terms that are used for someone who's in pastoral ministry. And so the assumption is though Philemon is not a pastor in the church, his son is. And uh, Paul, they giving the exhortation, you fulfill your ministry that you've been called to, you do this well. And so more than likely, he's, if not the pastor, one of the pastors at the church at Colossae uh, and uh, was a part of this. And so here you have this situation, the recipient of the letter, we have these three people mentioned, but they're all family. One of them probably the pastor of the church and one of them who uh, was responsible for the meeting place where people met. The situation. Okay, what's going on here? Okay, why was this letter written? Why did Paul do this? The impetus for this letter was a slave of Philemon by the name of Onesimus. Ironically, Onesimus' name meant Profitable. More than likely, just hearing the little details about his life, he was probably not profitable. More than likely, a rabble-rouser and a troublemaker. Uh, Slaves didn't run off unless typically they were in that kind of a category. Um, So, ironically, his name is meant means profitable in the Greek language. From this letter, the story seemed to be that Onesimus ran away from Philemon, stole some things in the process, or perhaps damaged things and ran... I mean, we're not told, but there is some sort of financial restitution that needs to go on. He did something, whether it was stealing goods or damaging goods, uh, and he runs away. Um, Onesimus somehow ended up in Rome, probably fleeing there to get lost in the mass- massive population of the city. Most of us don't realize this, but if you were in the Roman Empire, one out of every two people were slaves. So if you wanted to go to a place where you could get lost, you went to the largest city, which was Rome, and everybody there... You know, think about this, half the population there is probably going to be slaves, not free, and the like. And so it's a good place to kind of get lost. But in the midst of all of this, somebody that Paul knew came across Onesimus. Realize this, Paul's not free to wander about. Somebody found Onesimus, or else Onesimus goes, oh, a familiar name, uh familiar person. Some way, shape, and form, he gets in contact with the Apostle Paul. In the conversations that are had, he's led to the Lord. Paul has this opportunity to do this, and so this is a, a you know... He's trying to flee from circumstances and get away from them, and he runs into the Apostle Paul, who knows his master, and in all of this, uh, something happens that he probably never expected to happen, uh, is that he was saved. I mean, it may have very well been that he left Philemon because he was irritated that Philemon was a Christian. Could have been. But ironically, he comes here to escape, and he can't escape God. Onesimus proved valuable to helping Paul to the point where Paul said he now lived up to his name of profitable. You have this in verse number 11, it says this, which is this individual Onesimus which in times past to thee was unprofitable but now profitable to thee and to me. You say, well what's Onesimus doing? Realize this, the Apostle Paul is an individual who has to take care of his own imprisonment. Back in this day, when you were imprisoned, it wasn't taxpayers that took care of you. It was you, the individual taxpayer, paying for your stay in jail and taking care of the things that you needed. So Onesimus is taking care of things. You go, what's he doing? Taking care of meals, taking care of other things that need to be taken care of in uh, the place that Paul was at. Uh, doing things that Paul could not take care of and going out into the city and taking care of and bringing back. We aren't told exactly, but by his actions, he is profitable. He's an individual that now lives up to his name because he's met Christ. Even though Paul would have liked to continue to have his help, he recognized that Onesimus still needed to make restitution for what he had stolen. Okay? He's been forgiven by God. It's a very good principle to remind ourselves of. Yes, we can receive forgiveness for things, but there may be restitution that needs to be made. Okay? I mean, this is principle all over life. But, you know, we may receive forgiveness, but we may need to make payment to make up for what we've taken from somebody, even though they've forgiven us that Onesimus was willing to go back to his master and make amends shows, showed the work of salvation in his life. I mean, he left. He stole stuff. He went away. He's not coming back. Now he's turned around and he's going back to his master uh, to make amends for what has happened, to make restitution. And This is uh, the work of salvation in his life. He needed to go back, so Paul sent Onesimus with Tychicus. You go, who's Tychicus? Tychicus is the one who's going to deliver the the, the, the letters to Ephesus and Colossae and to Philemon. And you did, as you had in our time frame and part of our history in the United States, you had individuals that were slave catchers. And if you were a slave and got caught, uh, you could be Uh, beaten up and abused and then drugged back to whoever you were owned by. Um, And to have somebody with him, Tychicus, a responsible individual, uh, was protection for him. And so Paul goes, you're going back with Tychicus, with these letters that are going to be delivered. Uh, He's going to be uh, the one that goes back with you. Paul sent a letter to be an explanation of what had happened with Onesimus, and to make a personal appeal to Philemon on how to receive Onesimus as a Christian brother. What ought to happen, even though there has been uh, this break in the relationship, there's been this bad thing that's happened, he's left and he's taken stuff. What ought you to do when there is a call for forgiveness uh, going on? Uh, This letter was... uh, Boy, was B, yeah, okay was an emotional display of Paul's heart as he worked for the restoration of the re- 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 restoration of the relationship of believers. Okay, this letter is a letter that you go to when people are not getting along with one another. Because what Paul is, he is a we might use this term from the Sermon on the Mount, he's a peacemaker. Okay, sometimes you have to have a person as the go-between to make sure that two can get back together again. Okay, this is not uncommon. This is something that you go, this makes sense, but we oftentimes fail to realize this, that uh, two people may not be getting along with one another because there's a person, not a person there that's on the outside saying, okay, this needs to be fixed and see from this perspective, you're seeing it this way, you're seeing it this way, you know, let's fix this. And so it's a great practical letter from that standpoint showing us how Paul uh, is able to deal with this. It's a very emotional letter in the sense that Paul is going to appeal uh, on a, a number of different levels, not just merely, and he doesn't really command in this. He could have. He could have commanded. But it's an appeal much like individuals like us are going to have to do if we're working to restore two individuals to one another. So let's just go through this letter. As we said, it's not going to take us long for us to go through this, but as we go through, we will highlight some of the details. And as you go through, verses 1 through 7 read like a normal letter of Paul where he starts off with the greetings and a thanksgiving. It's typical of his letters on how he writes them. Starts this way. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Ophia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love, thy faith, which thou hast towards the Lord Jesus and towards all saints that the communication of thy faith may be effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Now that's not a term that we normally use, but this is a term that is saying, listen, you, you emotionally do something for the in- inner man of uh, men and women, the, the inner person. Uh, you do something, you refresh it. For them, as you said, the bowels, the intestines is the seat of the emotions. You say, well, you know, people talk about getting sick to their stomach, but is that where the seat of their emotions is at? No, it's just an offset of where it's at. Back then in this culture, this is what they're saying. In the seat of the emotions, this is uh, something that uh, you have Philemon doing things, and you say, well, what is he doing? Well, this first section of the letter, Paul gives greetings, normally does, but verses 4 through 7 Paul gives thanks for the love, faith, compassion, and kindness that Philemon readily displayed towards Christ and his followers. I mean, his faith in Christ is well known. His living for Christ, well known. And it's shown by his being around other people that know Christ. He just enjoys being with them, and he enjoys meeting their needs. And here's a a wealthy individual that's following what you have in 1 Timothy chapter 6 where he's talking about the fact uh, there in 1 Timothy 6, that they that are rich, you know, what are they supposed to do? Well, they're ones who are uh, taking care and not worrying about earthly things so much. They're worried about heavenly matters. They're, they're kind of going, I'm a steward of these things, and so, you know, there's needs to be met, there's uh, compassion to be shown, kindness to be shown. It seems that the Philemon is a perfect example of displaying riches being distributed, reflecting what Christ is, who with his riches is what? Stingy and no. He's generous, kind, abundant in what he gives. And so Philemon had been a refreshment to Paul and others in the past. And so the Apostle Paul goes, I'm thanking the Lord for knowing what kind of comfort and help and encouragement you are uh, in the past. Now, present situation. Okay, this is what he suddenly moves to present situation is this, the appeal for Onesimus. The go-between, the peacemaker. You have this in verse number 8. Wherefore, okay, change of language there, okay? Thankfulness, now here, this is why I wrote. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such as one as Paul the Aged, Now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him. That is, mine own bowels, as, as if my emotions, who I am going with. Whom I have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved specially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord." If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee ought, put that on my account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. Okay, we start off. Paul could have used apostolic authority to tell Philemon what he needed to do. Now, I'm thinking about this when it comes to situations where you're trying to restore two people. You know, your kids. You will, and you will, and you'll be fine, okay? Okay, well, you know, it, it could work, but, you know, there may not be the inner person that has been appealed to, though they still need to obey. So it is sometimes you could have a position of authority in a situation with two people and telling them to get along, and you could command them. You have every right to by the position of authority. That's not the tact that the Apostle Paul uses in this. He uses uh, this idea of appealing on the basis of love, his age and his imprisonment. (laughs) You're kind of going, well, that's that's an emotional appeal. Yeah. You have a selflessness to me. And, you know, it's kind of hard for me to, to handle these situations because I'm getting older, and, and I really would like to be there to help you out in this, but I'm in prison right now for the gospel. So he, he's kind of going, here's the reason. I would love to be there, but I'm going to appeal to you in a different manner because I can't be there. And he does this. He also, on the other side, goes, okay, I'm going to say this, that before you, you know, you see, I I could just imagine this, that maybe there was no forewarning that Onesimus was coming, more than likely. Okay, remember, there's not, you know, phone call going, hey, we're sending Onesimus or anything. No, the first time may have been when Tychicus shows up and he's at the doorstep and here's this Onesimus. The last time Onesimus was there, he had done Philemon harm. The Apostle Paul goes, wait before you have any emotions, any feelings about this, okay? Let me tell you something. He's my son in the faith. Uh, He is uh, one who I begot my bonds, now profitable, and he's a beloved brother. Okay, this individual that probably stirs up all sorts of anger and emotion against him, I want to tell you what God has done in him. He is a changed person. He is profitable. He's someone that I look to and I'm refreshed by what he's doing. He's been selfless to me and I'm a person who would be selfless for him because he has been so giving. And so this letter starts off with that kind of appeal. You know, I've had trouble getting here, and but before you say anything, let me tell you how I feel about Onesimus. What I know, what I've seen, and so he does this. Paul would have desired to keep Onesimus, but did not want to impose on Philemon. You know, he's there and finally I I imagine there was a day where he finally goes, You know, you've been gone away for a little bit, and I'm sure Philemon would love to have you back. And you know you need to go back, and you can almost imagine Esmus going, yeah, I need to because I know there are things that I have not gotten right with him. Okay? Day came. Paul said, I would love to have kept him, but I don't have your mind. I don't know what you would think on this, so I'm going to send him back to you. Maybe you'll send him back to me to help me as I continue in prison. Kind of the thought here. And, And Paul makes this statement that sometimes being a peacemaker will cost you to be the peacemaker. Okay? Sometimes, realize this, sometimes it's just merely time. As a pastor, I have spent a number of occasions with people trying to get them to work things out, and it's not that I've spent money or anything like this. I may have lost sleep, and I may have lost time. Paul here is going, listen, if I can fix the situation and you need the debt paid off, I'll pay for it, okay? So that's not an issue anymore, okay? I'll, I'll take care of that aspect, that roadblock, so that's not something that's an issue. Philemon and Onesimus both owed Paul because he had brought them to salvation. He had an extra string here to pull, now, they were saved because of Christ. Okay. But is there not an affinity for the individual that led you to Christ? Thankful for them, thankful for what they've done, and, and there is, in, in some case, this, you know, thankfulness for them. You know, I had a youth pastor, I mean, this story I may have told before. I had a youth pastor that saved my life. Now, he was not our favorite youth pastor, and he he did some silly and goofy stuff and whatever else, but we went down to see uh, PCC when I was a junior or senior. I can't remember. I think it was a senior. And we had about a half hour. It was the only time we could go down uh, to where the beach was that they owned there. And so we went out there, and of course, we didn't have anything with us. We didn't have swim truck. We didn't have any of this. So we go out there into the surf. We were like, you know what? This is the only time it's going to happen. We're all out there. Uh, and we weren't familiar with a thing called the riptide. Now, I, I don't swim very well. I mean, I swim, but, you know, I. I, I swim for my life, you know. It's you know, it, it's something I do because if I don't, I'll drown. Um, I don't float very well. But when we were out there, we realized as we're standing out there, up to our necks, that the, the sand is being pulled out from underneath us. So it's like, okay, we'll swim inward towards the beach, and didn't realize that what you're supposed to do is swim with it and you know find your way. It's the way to get through. We didn't know that. We kept swimming towards the beach, and we were going further out. I had a youth pastor uh, that was six eight, and he was built like an ox. And uh, the guy that was with me that was doing having trouble was the most athletic guy. He was our center forward. He was our garden basketball. He, you know, he he was athletic, and we were both not making it. And that youth pastor came and grabbed both of us by the scruff of the neck uh, and walked us back in. You know, someone who saves your life, there is an element of thankfulness for them. Not everything about them, but you know, you're thankful. You saved my life. <laughs> you know, we might say this, you, we owe you one. But in this case, they, they can't give Paul back anything on that level. So he's kind of going... Could you at least show that you're both saved and because of who I am and I know both of you, the salvation that you've been granted through Jesus Christ, fix the situation. Basically saying, you both know Christ. Take care of this. Get back together. Uh, Paul wanted Philemon to refresh Onesimus just as he refreshed others. He wanted Onesimus to do this and go, you know what? Bring me the joy that it have. Um, Paul did close with this. He closed with the confidence that Philemon would respond and even go beyond what Paul had requested You see the statement there in verse number 21, it says this, having confidence in this obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou would also do more than I say. You know, you'll go above and beyond to try and fix this. Now, that's where the letter stops, really, because the next thing that Paul does is a totally different line of explanation. It's not in the line of reasoning for all of this restitution. He just simply says this, "Uh, I'm going to come back. I'm confident of release from prison. Look at verse number 22. Wherewithal, or, but withal, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute the Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And so here you have these individuals with Paul saying, hello, Uh, and uh, then you have this ending statement, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And it's kind of a good way to close off a letter like this because it takes grace to do this type of thing. Someone's offended you, done you wrong, Say, I don't know if I can do this. There's grace that's greater than our sin. There's grace that's greater than anything that we would be faced with. And so the Apostle Paul makes his final closing prayer of a gift that they would receive in the situation, and it being grace. And so you have this, Paul wrote to tell Philemon to get ready for his release from prison. Paul was confident to the prayers of the people like Philemon and traveled to see Philemon and sent greetings from ones that Philemon would have known. Epaphras being from either the church at Colossae or one that went back and forth from Ephesus to Colossae in ministry. Now, when you go through this letter, there is a side issue that must be dealt with. you go, what's that? Slavery. Okay. Why didn't Paul just come out and say, slavery is bad, release your slaves? Okay. I mean, people read this and they go, but I will say this, well, we'll get into this in a second, okay? One final note. Some would have liked Paul to tell Philemon to free all his slaves. However, Paul's purpose in life was not social change but spiritual regeneration. Okay? Can, can I say this? I, I am, or uh, years ago, would have been a political junkie. I actually thought about getting into politics because it was humorous and entertaining at times. <laughs> And you figured you could fix some of these things that are silly and whatever. And that was the the thought process. But it's sort of like the the thought process of a D. Martin Lloyd-Jones years ago. We talked about him a couple services ago that he is the assistant to the king's physician and he's fixing people to go back to the very same sins they were in before. And there's nothing eternal going on there. And he decided, listen, being a doctor is a nice thing, but I'm not here to fix people's physical illnesses. I need to to be able to see people come to Christ. That's the change they need. So it is, for the Apostle Paul, he could go around and fix all the government ills he wants. But you know what? That takes a lot of time and energy. I mean, I think about this. If you ever want to read a story of what it's like to try and end slavery in a country, read the biography of one William Wilberforce. Was a student of, uh, well, a, a student, yeah, of John Newton. Okay. You say, what did he do? He basically spent the energy of his life trying to end slavery in England and throughout the British Empire. It nearly killed him. Now you say, was that a good thing that Wilberforce did? Yes, it was. It didn't save people for eternity. But as far as for mankind, that's a good thing. That's beneficial. But realize this. Paul could have spent all his energy doing this, but he's, he's more concerned about this. People reflecting Christ in their lives. Showing the gospel that has done a change in you in the circumstances that you're in. Um, Understand this, slavery was a part of human culture. You realize it still exists today. It's like the poor you always have with you. Guess what? There's going to be slavery that's always with us. Does that make it a good thing? No. Does not. Never does. Now, both the Old and the New Testaments were clear about the fair treatment of slaves. You read the Old Testament, it tells you how to treat your slaves. I mean, if you injure them uh, and hurt them, then in some cases, you just let let them go free. Okay, you let them go on their own because you've done this. I mean, you have that type of thing in the Old Testament, and you get to the New Testament, especially thinking about this, what other letter went with the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae? Colossians, yeah. Okay, but do you realize both Ephesians and Colossians have a section about... Husbands and wives, parents and children, servants and masters. Because Paul realized that in most situations there wasn't a possibility of a freedom because you had a slave that was working for an unsaved man. You say, did Christians have slaves? Well, if they were doing what they were supposed to be doing, most of those slaves became family and didn't really want to leave. But in some cases, you find Christians releasing their slaves. It was just part, I mean, it, it, it kind of goes with this that they, they start releasing their slaves. You see this in history. I mean, the pushing force behind getting slavery taken care of was Christian Judeo values. Okay? Now, Paul was clear in his letters about the responsibility of both master and slave in relation to one another. Did Philemon eventually release Onesimus? I think so. Okay, there are two statements here in this letter that you have. Paul says, receive him as a brother. Now, okay, you say what? A brother in Christ, yes. But welcome him as a brother in Christ. And then you have that final statement, the Apostle Paul, he says, and I have the confidence that you'll do more than I even have asked. Not just that you you welcome him and you accept him back as if nothing's happened, okay? That's what forgiveness is, is that you're not bringing this back up again. And I, I tend to think that Onesimus probably was a free man. Can I guarantee it? I don't know. But it seems that Paul is just kind of hinting at this uh, you know what, you ought to free him so he can do the work that he needs to do. It sounds like this individual was one who could be a great reflection for Christ in the world that he lived in. This Anesimus that was changed forever. So, I don't know about that, but you do have some people, when you deal with this letter, they're like, why, you know, why didn't Paul say slavery is bad? He's got other things to deal with on a spiritual level that means something for eternity. Um, I mean, you know, we could have had Paul the politician, you know, and Paul says, listen, pray for your leaders. You go, were they good leaders? Um, okay, Nero, no. And that you pray that you could live quiet and peaceful lives in all godliness, as 1 Timothy 2 tells us. But he wasn't going around campaigning going, you know what, Nero's a horrible guy. He murders people. You know, he may have thought that, but he's not making his life that. Why? Because he had something else more important. People need to be saved before they slip into eternity. So, um, yeah. So that that would be something, as you read through the book of Philemon and you come to this, someone would say, well, why didn't Paul just say slavery's bad and end it? Because it was going to continue in the Roman Empire for a long time, so it's more important that people are saved because their environment more than likely was not going to change. They needed to learn how to live as master, as slave, those type of things, as a Christian. So, yeah. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for a letter like this. It reminds us we're not the first person in the world to have difficulties with other people. And that sometimes we may, as Christian brothers and sisters, need to step in and, and help two individuals fix their problems. We're reminded of that, of Iodias and Syntyche and Philippians, where these two ladies didn't get along. Church challenged to, to bring them together. So this is the regular practice of a church that we sometimes need to be peacemaker like the Apostle Paul, but in other times we're the ones that are offended or offendee. And we have the responsibility as Christians to work things out as people reflecting the forgiveness and the goodness and the kindness of Christ. So help us to do that. As we read in this letter, it's an emotional thing to deal with subjects like this. May we be ones that can reflect the grace of Christ, fixing situations that were once broken and now united forever. We love you, Lord. Thank you for saving us, giving us peace through your Son. And we praise you in his name. Amen.